I've just realized this. Every single one of the people that we focused on in Everyone Talks to Liz have gone through the fire. They really have. That That's sort of the bar that you have to scale to get on Everyone Talks to Liz. You have to have been through fire and rain and you name it and then really made it. So I'm, I'm so excited about today's guest. You know the expression, it takes years to become an overnight success? I always think of the actor Danny Aiello of Do the Right Thing or Moonstruck fame. You saw those movies. He was a bouncer in his early years. He did odd jobs until his mid-40s when he decided to pursue his passion for acting. And yeah, then boom, he wins an Oscar. So uh, this is perfect because we hear it. Everyone talks to Liz absolutely live for those stories. These come from behind successes that we hope inspire all of you out there to reach beyond your grasp. So today we have one of those. It took years to become an overnight success story with the most amazing twist. My guest this episode was turned down not once, not twice, not four times, not seven, but eight times for U.S. citizenship. But once he got it, he was on a self-driven path to becoming an unbelievable job creator here in the U.S. And this year, he becomes a billionaire himself. We welcome Eric Wan. He is the founder and CEO of video conferencing giant Zoom, which just went public in April. Hi, Eric. Hey, how are you? Thank you for the invitation. Oh, my goodness. We are so, so excited. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. You know, we were already psyched to ask you to be a guest, but when my producer, Tanya Joseph, flagged me on how resilient you were in the face of these multiple attempts to become a citizen, we said, wait till our listeners hear this story. So first, tell us, Mr. Yuan, where you are right this minute, because your company, Zoom, allows people to be anywhere and yet still do what they need to get done. Where are you right now? I'm uh, sitting in my office, and our office uh, is based in downtown San Jose, California. Okay, San Jose, California. But arguably, you could be doing this anywhere, correct? That's right. With Zoom, I can you know join the meeting anywhere with any device and the same experience. With multiple people participating in the cloud, right? Absolutely, yep. So, you know, what's incredible is that you've been working on this since, what, 2011? You started the company, but you were at Cisco before that. But I want to really go way back. Can we rewind the clock with you? Is that okay? Sure. Yep. Okay. Your childhood in China. Let's go to that. What city did you grow up in? What was it like for you? I was born in uh, Shandong province. as a very famous mountain in China called Mountain Tai. I was born in the mountain Tai and the uh, city. That city was called Taiyan in Shandong province. And I was born there and grown up over there and also got my bachelor degree there as well. What were your and, parents doing at the time? Did, did they both work and what did they do? Yeah, both of them, uh, after they graduated from the college, right, they were sent to the, the Shandong province in to, to get a job. And their background uh, were around the mining technology. Mining technology. And when you were a child, did you start to show sort of real affinity with things like technology and and coding? Oh, I was actually, you know, not because (laughs) I didn't know computer or or software until I was a sophomore year in college. What? Really? 
Yes, yes, because at that time, you know, nobody had a computer, right? And uh, until I was uh, in college, the first time for me to learn the, the program. What year was that in college? That's uh, 1988. Okay, so we always hear of these young whippersnappers and dot-com stars. What I find appropriate and what we really liked about your story was you're in your 40s. So, you know, this is not this instant startup, you know, Stanford grad kind of situation. This was years and years of toiling. So you you saw your first computer and what went through your heart and your mind? At that time, initially, you know, I do not like a computer, to be honest. <laughs> and you, I spent time playing all the games and I look at it. Wow. You know, you can play the games like that, meaning, you know, it's very cool. So. Yeah. After spending time on playing all the games, I started uh, really, you know, falling in love with uh, the computer or the software. Mm-hmm. And and how to kind of make the games and how to make uh, what unfolded on the screen actually happen, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So 22 years ago, speaking very little English, you decide you want to come to the United States. So what did you do? So, you know, maybe a little bit of a story, you know, uh, let me take a step back. Why I, I came here. So I was traveling in Tokyo, in Japan, uh, back in 1994. And uh, happened to be, I joined one of the industry events. Bill Gates also was there to give a, a, a talk about the internet. Bill Gates, right. Uh, yeah, I was so impressed about his speech. And I realized internet is going to change everything. So after back to China, every day I thought about what I can do right, to join this uh, first wave of internet revolution. I was thinking about maybe an online bookstore. However, internet was too early. <laughs> back in- well, <laughs> Amazon had the same idea, I think, right? But uh, again, China was too early and mm. I, I was not, you know, uh, thinking about, you know, to, to start an internet business at, in, uh, at that time because it's too early in China. However, uh, like, like Yahoo or, or Netscape was so successful here in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, I really wanted to come here to join the first wave of internet revolution. And then you said, how do I go about doing this? So For sure, apply, I, need right? need visa, I need to get a visa. I thought of that very easy, right? To mm-hmm. get a visa to come here to take a look. But uh, unfortunately, I got a decline. The first time I tried it eight times, ninth attempt, I was successful. When I came here, it's already 1997. Oh, so ninth time was the charm. Didn't you feel at certain points like giving up? Some people, in fact, many people give up after the first no. Surely a lot of people give up after the fourth and by the seventh, forget it. It's just not going to work. What kept you? What was inside you that kept you pursuing and persisting? I think, first of all, the good news was that I never thought about giving up. And I already told myself, I told my wife, hey, as long as they, they let, me, let me try, I will try maybe 20 times, 30 times. That's okay. And because I really, you know, wanted to, you know, come to Silicon Valley to embrace, you know, the first wave of internet revolution. And uh, no matter how many, how many times, as long as they let me try, I, I, I never thought about giving up. You know, there's a famous baseball player who once said, you can't 
beat a man who just won't give up. And that sounds like you. So you get here. And what were your first impressions of America? I'm assuming you got to Silicon Valley, right? That's right. I I remember clearly, I think I landed in San Francisco airport uh, in August 1997. And, you know, Back in 1997, everybody talked about the internet. Silicon Valley, wow, that's crazy time. And so many uh, internet startup companies. And here the people very friendly. There's so many successful people here. And weather is great. And uh, I joined WebEx as one of the first several founding engineers. And just, just went back to write a code. I really like it. And uh, yeah, so I worked so hard. And uh, very excited, actually. Oh, well, that's a real driver, obviously. And, and you know, so you're working at WebEx, and um, I, I'm just, I guess I really want to know more granular detail of what surprised you about America? What fascinated you about it? I think what surprised me, first thing, is about a culture difference. And, uh, you know, before I came here, my father already told me that, hey, this is the new world and you got to work hard and also stay mm-hmm. humble. I, I did take that, you know, advice. However, you know, the, the reason why I got rejected for the first time, you know, visa application it, it is it's about a culture, you know, the, the difference. And uh, when I came here, because, you know, I never uh, went to any school, you know, here. And uh, I, I realized if I want if I wanted to be successful here, I got to take a step back to learn the culture here. Mm-hmm. I think that surprised me a lot. If we, if I did not spend the time on learning the culture here, and and so as you're for, forging ahead, and you're in Silicon Valley, and you're in California, which is my home state, and I went to Berkeley, so I know Northern California very well. It's definitely different. It is the land of opportunity. People always wonder, well, why, why Silicon Valley? Because people just go there and they don't hear the words, it can't be done. They just figure out a way. In fact, they solve problems that people don't even know they had. That's why all these startups happen in Silicon Valley, because that's sort of the genetics of the area. But let me go to Cisco. You went from WebEx to getting hired at Cisco, where you started to really see video conferencing and the potential for it, correct? So actually, I joined WebEx in 1997 and the company went public year 2000 mm-hmm. and 2007. We got acquired by Cisco in 2007. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Cisco as a part of the WebEx acquisition. And also, you know, one year later, I got promoted to the, the vice president of engineering at Cisco in charge of its collaboration software development. Mm. That must have been exciting. And, and you're telling your folks back home, I just got a promotion. You're doing <laughs> well, right? Yeah, not, not, not only that, back to Silicon Valley story, you know, I really like it. One thing is about, you know, the, here is very open, transparent culture, Silicon Valley culture. Mm-hmm. The people, they come from all over the world. And everybody is pursuing a dream to build something cool and to build something, you know, to help to make the world a much better place. And also, you know, even if you you failed here, I would say, you know, failed, failure is not that something bad, right? You failed, you try again, right? I think here 
there's a culture, right? The failure is not something bad as long as you keep trying. Amen. And that's the culture we want to foster here on this podcast that, hey, failure is actually a rite of passage. It's actually a badge of honor because it means you're in the, the arena. You're trying. You've, you've flung yourself out there. You're making an effort. You're alive. Uh, how did Zoom come to be? So I was uh, working on WebEx for, for such a long time, since 1997. And back to 2010 timeframe, so every time when I talked with a WebEx customer, I did not see a single happy customer. <laughs> I, right. I was very, very embarrassed. In WebEx is more like a, sort of like my baby. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, I was not happy. I, I really thought about what I can do to fix all those problems shared by the customers. And I was not thinking about leaving Cisco. I thought of, I thought about that. Maybe I'm part of this problem because I created that problem. I really wanted to fix that problem. And Cisco was unwilling to change its collaboration strategy back then. It took him, took me one year. You know, finally, you know, I decided to leave to build a new solution to bring happiness back to the WebEx customers. So it almost sounds like um, Cisco or any of these big companies, once they get really big, they become slower perhaps, and and they have their focus on things that aren't as gutsy maybe. And they, I just find that in my experience, big, big operations become almost frozen in place. Is that sort of what you were experiencing? Uh, yeah, back then, I totally uh, agree with you. Back then, that executive, you know, my thought. But late, later on, after left, you know, especially after I started Zoom, also realized mm-hmm. that for the bigger company, also there's a reason to be a little bit slower because they have a very well established business. Mm-hmm. You know, number one risk is don't mess up the existing business, right? In terms of innovation, very likely that's their second problem. And yet there's always somebody behind them, breathing down their neck on the track, running and getting closer and maybe innovating even more quickly. And they could overtake them on the track. And, and in a way, that's, that's what you set out to do with Zoom is, is make those customers happier with video conferencing. And, and you started in 2011. So tell me the biggest challenge, the biggest worries you had at the time and the biggest sort of walls you ran into. The biggest challenge was that, you know, back then the market was extremely crowded. And most of my friends told me that, Eric, you know, don't do that, right? There's no way for you to put it off because the market is so crowded. <laughs> Why does the world need another solution, right? I think that's, a, that's the biggest challenge. However, I talked with many customers. I knew that none of those customers told me that they liked the solution they are using at that time. Hmm. And, you know, very few people knew that. It's it's hard for me to convince others, but I know if we can build something that can make a customer happy to use use their new service, I think I have a chance to survive. But however, it's hard, you know communicate that with uh, either my friends or the investors. Well, okay. So you had four name options, Zippo, Hangtime, Poppy, Zoom. Uh, what made you pick Zoom? And uh, I, I know there's no specific reason. I look at all the four <laughs> names. I think Zoom is catchy. 
and also is a verb as well, right? I think, uh, yeah, looking back, that's no no brainer, right, to pick up Zook. So. You come up with these ideas. You've got the name. You've got uh, a small office. How many employees to start back then? Uh, back then, around 22 employees. 22. Yeah. And you got turned down, as I understand it, by a lot of venture capitalists. What was their reasoning? Why did they say, yeah, we're going to pass on Zoom? Back then, as I mentioned earlier, the market is so crowded by so many solutions out there. Some solutions also the free. And, uh, you know, they all thought about that, you know, the, the current solution is okay, right? Mm-hmm. There's no need to have a new solution. And uh, the plus, they did not realize the importance of video communication. You know, I think uh, that's the reason why they all, you know, turned me down. And uh, the good news, I, I, I trust, you know, you know, the experience with customers. Okay, so you knew you had confidence that your product would end up being so good that to heck with the venture capitalists for the moment, you'd find a way to get the money and figure it out. So, so how did you finally get some money, some some big? deep-pocketed people to jump in and say, I'm putting my money behind Eric Yuan and Zoom? So I talked with uh, many of my friends, right? and uh, I got the money or the seed funding from all of my friends. Those and, are good uh, friends, Eric. Keep them yeah. very close to you. <laughs> That's right. This is a, a great trust from my friends. Some of them, even after one year, they still did not know what, a, what I'm what I was going to do. They just trusted me. They're giving the money. So I say, hey, I want to share with you the slide deck. They say, no, 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 we do not need that. So, Well, they must have had faith in you. There was something about you. Maybe it was what you projected, your honesty, your your concern about the customer. And, and so you start growing, right? When did you know, oh my gosh, we've got something here. This, this could be major. I think one and a half years uh, after, yeah, one and a half years after we uh, started, I think uh, back to the summer of the 2012, and the very famous, uh, you know, technology writer, you know, uh, Walt Mossberg. You know, he yes. worked Wall yeah, Street worked Journal, for, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he looked at our product. He published a blog, and plus he recorded a video, and we do not know what he was going to write about. Uh, it turned out the the article was very positive, mm-hmm. you know, given that, you know, he's very famous, you know, everybody, you know, really respected him. I think after I, I, I thought that article, I, I felt like something, you know, we are going to hunt to something. And because he liked the product. Walt Mossberg is highly regarded when it comes to technology, and he calls it like he sees it. He can be brutal when he tries something or tests something and it doesn't quite work, and he cannot be bought. So um, congratulations. I think that that was, that definitely, the power of the press, if I may say so, um, definitely helped. So let me just talk about hiring. At this point, how many employees did you have? We have a little bit over 2,000 employees worldwide. Oh, by the way, back to the Walter Mossberg. Every time I thought about him, I wanted to say I, I really love him. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I don't think I ever met him in his face to face meeting. And uh, yeah, we, we talked over Zoom before. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know him. I'll tell him you love him. Um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, we love Walt. So give me a sense. So you just said you now have about 2,000 employees. How many of those are here in the U.S.? In the U.S., we have uh, around uh, 1,200. You know, so in the headquarters, we have more than 500. We have several offices in Denver, Kansas, Santa Barbara, Atlanta. Yeah, added up more than 1,000 employees in the U.S. This is a dream, Eric. Do you realize you grew it from 20 people uh, hitting up friends for money to what it is today? And let's talk about what it is today. You launched Zoom as a publicly traded company in April, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, NASDAQ, a public company. NASDAQ, public company. And I need to know... Not what that day was like, but what the night before was like for you. The night before, I was uh, thinking about, you know, we always had a dream, right, to do, to be a Nasdaq public company. You know, finally, when that dream is close to becoming true, I was so excited. And just, just uh, looking back, I really appreciate all the support for the customers, from friends, from employees. I just feel very lucky with so many great people around Zoom, around me. I just wanted to, you know, show the appreciation to mm-hmm. all of them. I thought about a lot. I think, yeah, without all those uh, support, I just cannot, you know, uh, go this far, right? And appreciation is uh, was on top of my mind. So the way IPOs work is uh, the company gets priced, the shares get priced the night or day before, and your company, tell our viewers what it was priced at. Uh, I think it's $36, if I recall correctly. How much were you thinking about the move in the stock on the very first trade? That becomes very nerve-wracking for company founders and CEOs who, as they launch their company out there to the world – they're terrified. Is it going to go up and then fall? Is it going to fall immediately? You know, what will that foretell for the future of the company? So talk about that moment where you saw the first trade. Where were you? So good news was that I never thought about the the price because, you know, for anything that is out of our control, normally I do not spend time on that. So when it comes to stock price, I, I, I knew that, you know, we cannot control that price. And why do I care about the price? So, and <laughs> as long as we become a public company, well, okay. In, in terms of a price, it's out of our control. That's why our team asked about, hey, what do, do you think about the price? I told them it's out of our control. It could be up, could be down. Let's go back to work, you know, as quickly as possible. So that's why I did not pay attention to the stock price. And yet, let's talk about that first trade. The stock spiked. What was your first thought on that? Obviously, wow, I never thought about that. You know, it's jumped so high. And again, just for almost just one minute. After that, I say, I told myself, yeah, don't look at that. That's <laughs> look away. Work. Yes, get one more customers. And uh, yeah, again, anything that is out of our control, normally I don't spend time on that. You became, though, an instant billionaire. Let's not ignore that 800-pound gorilla in the room, as we say here in the U.S. Tell me what that felt like. 
I think very little has changed. I even don't quite understand what that means even today. And, uh, you know, nothing has changed. You know, every day we worked so hard, do all we can, don't let our customer down and uh, keep innovating and make sure our employee happy, make sure our customer happy. I think from that perspective, I, I really do not think, it's, you know, anything's changed. So, Did, did you buy uh, yourself a treat? Did you buy your wife a treat? I don't think so. <laughs> and seriously, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little hint. I don't know your wife, but... Harry Winston Diamonds will not make her unhappy. Let's put it that way. Um, You drive a Tesla. Tesla is a customer, as I understand it, of Zoom, correct? That's right. I'm a huge fan of Tesla. I really like that experience. I kind of am, too. I've covered Elon Musk since, uh, I want to say, 2005 for SpaceX. And then, of course, we covered him beyond that for Tesla. But uh, he is a really amazing thinker. What do you learn from people like that? You mentioned that you had been inspired by Bill Gates. Who else inspires you? I think Elon Musk is a visionary, right? You know, kind of, uh, I still do not know how he did that, managed two great businesses like uh, Tesla and SpaceX. Mm -hmm. I think uh, for sure, all those uh, uh, great entrepreneurs, you know, in Silicon Valley, like Mark Benioff, and is really, you know, learn from his success story. Yeah, at salesforce.com. Yeah, salesforce.com. Not only does he focus on the business, but also he, he cares about the community. I look at what he is trying to do to help San Francisco. I think those are great entrepreneurs. Well, also, I agree. They turn from entrepreneur to businessman to billionaire in in many cases to philanthropists in some cases will that be you you know steve jobs was known as somebody who did not spend a lot of time or money focusing on charities and yet bill gates warren buffett um benioff they they have established all kinds of trusts and funds to give their money to causes in which they truly believe which side will you fall down on do you think I think of all of them are our role models. You know, another great example is uh, Mark Zuckerberg, mm. you know, Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, right? Yeah. You know, Mark is very young, still, you know, focused uh, on philanthropy work, you know, when he was, you know, when he is very young. I think uh, this is a part of the culture here in Silicon Valley, right? And they all want to help to make the community better to help make the world better. I think uh, this is something I, I also uh, started working on as well. Good for you. Good for you. You know, what's your day like? And I'm also very interested in, as a business leader who cares deeply about the product and then developing it into something bigger and morphing it, because, you know, you've got to evolve to survive. Tell me what your average day is like, if there is an average day. So normally I wake up around uh, between 6.30 and 7 o'clock and drop the kids to the school and then come to office and spend probably around 40 to 50% of the time on all the, all the customer related the, the issues or meetings and also the 20 or 30% of the time on product side and the rest of the time on the internal the management. And also every day, I do allocate, you know, some time, like 15 or 30 minutes. I call that a thinking meditation. 
So meaning I always think about every day when I start over, what I should do differently hmm. and what's my strength, what's my weakness, do I miss anything today? Do I learn anything today? What I should do differently for tomorrow? Every day I'm doing that. Do you take lunch? I do. <laughs> yeah, actually, before... <laughs> How much time? You're giving 15 minutes to 30 minutes on meditation. How much time do you take for lunch? Just less than 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, you're power eating. All right. I like that. That's us here at Fox Business. We're eating at our desks, shoving food in our mouths and running to the set. It's... Listen, you want something done, ask a busy man or woman, right? <laughs> so right. So give me a sense now as you have people banging down your door to come work for you. What must you see in a person before you will hire him or her? I think ultimately two things, you know, self-motivation and self-learning. We do not you know, spend too much time on looking at you know, candidates, you know, their background, like which company they worked for before or which university they graduated from, really wanted to find those candidates who are self-motivated, who wants to learn the new things. If those candidates, they want to learn something new, they motivated themselves, we like to hire those candidates. Wait a minute. I need to stop you there. I love this because I'm a product of public university. Um, I have to say that there is certainly on Wall Street, I'll call it a snobber, a snobbery, you know, a little bit of snobbery there, where they'll get all googly-eyed over Ivy League graduates. And I'm not saying that isn't an amazing accomplishment. But you really, truly are less interested in a fancy college name and more in what you believe is an inquisitive, self-reflective kind of person? Absolutely right. Because... You know, whatever you achieved before does not mean you are going to be successful in the future. Unless you every day, you work so hard, you motivate yourself, you want to learn new things, right? That's why I think we look at, look at the future, right? You know, whatever you achieved before does not mean you are going to be successful, right? That's why we look at what you can do here at Zoom, what you can contribute to us. If you do not want to learn new stuff, it's really hard to contribute you know, to our the company's success. Brilliant. I, I just love that approach. I really do. Um, you know, as you, you want to be self-reflective yourself, but what's the best advice that you ever got from an entrepreneur or a business leader or anybody? I think uh, it is so many the great leaders, entrepreneurs, so many the great business books. I really like reading a book. I learn a lot from uh, reading those uh, great business books. But I would say the one person I really think, I do not know him. I never met with him face to face meeting. Is a former uh, former CEO of Walmart. You know, H. D. Scott. Mm. And a long time ago, actually, when I was at Cisco and we had a leadership offsite meeting, we invited him, give us a talk about a leadership. And uh, he shared some, uh, I create 10, you know, leadership tips. And uh, I wrote down three. And also I made it a poster and uh, have that in my office every day. I think, uh, you know, he probably is, uh, he's the one leader who truly influenced me to become a better leader. That's amazing. Is, do you have a favorite business book that you've read? 
I have quite a few. I think like one of those books is The Speed of Trust. You know, author is Stephen Covey, right? Because when it comes to start up a company, speed is everything. Mm. With trust, there's no speed. And uh, yeah, this is my this is my favorite book. Your favorite book. Okay, you know, the inevitable happens very often on Wall Street and on Main Street. And that is you found a company, it's your baby, you take it public, it's doing unbelievably well. And then you have to answer to shareholders. And you get an offer, maybe, for someone to acquire your company. If that were to happen at some point in the future, would that almost be difficult for you in your heart that this is your baby? I mean, you have to, I guess, anticipate that anything could happen now that you're a publicly traded company. You're right. Also, our employees, you know, also have the similar questions before. Uh The way I look at this is that, you know, if all of us, you know, all the employees are very happy, I think let's keep running the business because, you know, it is very excited, you know, and we every day we think about how to build a much better product to make a, make sure customer happy. It's very exciting. And I told our employees, hey, if someday, you know, our employees do not feel happy, happen to be there's a deal, you know, we are going to discuss that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, from board, you know, we, we got to be responsible, right? We, you know, for the shareholders. But ultimately, I think, you know, we have so much fun to build a, a you know, long-term independent company because our goal is really to, you know, how to, you know, help to make the world a much better place. We should believe to be an independent company mm-hmm. can help us realize that dream. Um, do you have any hobbies? You, you strike me as a workaholic. I do. And I'm a sort of a professional Uber driver, right? And I drive my kids here and there. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're dad, the Uber driver, basically, right? Yeah, I like that. And, uh, you know, drive my kids see, for the basketball, for dance, you know, for all those activities. I really enjoy that. And to watch the kids grow up, and I feel like that's my biggest hobby. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Well, I'm sure they appreciate uh, that their dad is is certainly present, although sometimes you could always make it through Zoom, right? <laughs> or video <laughs> conferencing. That's right, yeah. Here's what strikes me about this entire picture. You now are very much the reason that 2,000 people have jobs, uh, 1,200 of them here in the United States. And yet it was very difficult for you to get here. Right now we've got this battle, this argument in America about immigrants. You know, I think it's so important. We all, our parents, our grandparents, we all came from somewhere else unless you are a Native American. Let's just make that very clear cut. You know, legal, illegal, there are all kinds of adjudications and discussions about that. But, you know, what what would you say? You know, you are such a brilliant example of why we must keep our eyes, ears, hearts, and doors open to these future job creators. I think you're right on. You look at all those, you know, a lot of great companies. You look at like a Yahoo or Google, right? And Intel. In the- Intel, exactly. They, they, they were all immigrants. I think uh, in, that's one of the, the reasons why you know, America is so successful because it embrace you know, diversity, the immigrants from all over the world. 
when you have all those people together with a different background, that's where the innovation comes from, right? If you break that, I think, uh, you know, if they do not come here, take Silicon Valley, for example, imagine, you know, the days when you do not have all those great engineers coming from all over the world. Mm. I just don't think, you know, the next generation of uh, uh, innovative companies, where those companies will, will, will come from. I think uh, to, you know, be, to embrace, you know, diversity, to embrace immigrants, I think that's a foundation to build a, such a successful society and a community. I think that's the whole reason why, you know, I think uh, America is so successful, right? All over the world, so many smarter people to come here. I think ideally to keep that in a policy. My last question is, does anything keep you up at night? Any problem, gigantic problem in the world, not just your profession, not just your work, where you say, I, I've got to focus and, and help make this world a better place? I think it really depends. In a different time, you know, I have a different things that keep him up in the night. You know, like, hey, maybe we, we let one for our customer down. Maybe we did not do well. Mm-hmm. We did not respond to the customer issues. Maybe security vulnerability. We did not act quickly. I think, you know, overall, one thing that keeps him up is what we can do, you know, to differently, you know, to survive and then thrive. For me as a CEO, I feel like if I do not grow myself to the next level and to let our employee down, to let our shareholder down, I just cannot sleep well. What's next for you, Eric? What's next for your family? Is there an area, a trip you want to take? I mean, X all of the drama of Zoom and the excitement of your company. What do you hope for? I hope all of our employees are very happy here at Zoom. I hope all of our customers are happy and trust Zoom. And also I hope, you know, my family, my kids, they're also going to have a, a brighter future. They also find their passion and, uh, you know, love, uh, find a job they love, you know, in the future. Overall, you know, I think about, you know, how to make sure the people around me happy. I do all I can to make sure others happy. That is a great, great way to be a company leader. Thank you so much, Eric. What an inspiration you truly are for all of our listeners and We really appreciate it and wish you the very best of luck and success at Zoom. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Eric Yuan of Zoom, the founder. He is running the whole show there with his team and only getting bigger and better. And those are the kinds of stories where we hope as you finish out listening to them, think to yourself, wow, if he could do it, so can I. Thank you so much for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz and you got to stay tuned because next week we drop a brand new one. Listen to our ones that we've already put up there. And as always, watch me, Liz Clayman, on the Clayman Countdown, 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on the Fox Business Network. Drive carefully, walk carefully, live a great life, whatever you're doing right now as you listen to us. We'll see you next time.